right, all right, all right. Day 172. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right. So uh, last day of the book of Hosea, right? So remember, Hosea has these two parts. We're in the last uh, part, uh, 4 to 14, kind of is an anthology, uh, a collection of Hosea's prophecies, and he's prophesying to the northern kingdom. And so the first few vo- uh, verses of chapter 13 beat the same drum, right? That he's been beating this whole time. Israel is worshiping idols, right? Nothing new. They are bent on doing so. And by the way, idolatry is the fountainhead of all sin, right? Idolatry is the fountainhead of all sin. That's something the prophets in the Old Testament is really, really clear about. Our worship determines our works, right? The things we exalt, inform our ethics it was true for the people of god then and it is true for us now right anytime our worship is off our works will be off as well i love what he says in verse four he's like yo i've been i have been the lord your god ever since the land of egypt you know hear this no god but me and no savior exists besides me he's going to go on in the first chapter or the first half of chapter 13 uh he begins and he reminds the people of who he is god is going to remind his people of who he is and he uses the word that he has been repeatedly (laughs) using in the book of hosea he says they knew him (laughs) and he knew them right he knew them in the wilderness they're going to say and this word no we've been saying is not just head knowledge it is not just uh pass a theology test it is not just check off a box it is this covenantal marital term right this is the same word for adam knew his wife eve right that is this is intimacy that is described to categorize this relationship that god has with his people remember alluding back to the beginning of the book right when hosea married gomer and this analogy running throughout the book of God being married to his people and they basically cheating on him right and so um and he's going to go on and talk about the major problems right along with the idolatry that uh he'll bring up that we've seen before as well he'll say yo you guys were ungrateful for the salvation of the exodus right from the exodus you were ungrateful uh for for that um but also you were placing trust in these political leaders, in this military might, in these political alliances in politics, right? There was there was there was this present, and also there's this complacency <laughs> in the wake of judgment, right? And so the thing that Hosea, uh, by way of implication, wants from the people of God, listen, he wants them to renounce their idols, be grateful for their salvation. I could speak on that so much, man. Just meditating on what the Lord actually did in saving us, it will evoke gratitude. Right. Placing total trust in the Lord, in Yahweh, rather than military or political might. Right. Politics can't solve your deepest problems. That's what Hosea is actually trying to say. And then from there, he says, no, no, you should be moved to a sense of urgency, not complacency, especially when God's words of wrath have gone forth. Right. So so God is super clear about what he requires, about why he's indicting his people. Now, what's interesting in 13, he's going to use this ferocious language to speak of judgment. Right. He's going to talk about a bear like robbed of her cubs. And 
Uh, why is he doing this? Because the Lord, listen, the Lord has been robbed of his children. Now, remember, the Bible uses a plethora of metaphors to talk about the relationship we have with God. So in one sense, like, yo, Hosea is going to say, like, no, no, we're like God's spouse, right? The people of God are like God's spouse. But also here, uh, and he says in Hosea 11, 1, uh, where he talks about Israel being um, God's firstborn son. Exodus 4 uh, is another place the Lord does that as well. Um, so so here he'll say, no, no, no. Like, um, I've been robbed of my cubs. Yahweh has been robbed of his children. And you have to uh, think about the, the son metaphor here. And it's interesting because um, they were worshiping this deity, this pagan god, Baal, right? Baal was a Canaanite god, and Baal was the fertility god. <laughs> so, it's, so, so it's fitting that he would use the metaphor of um, being robbed of cubs because Baal was the one who produced children, and Yahweh said, no, 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 like, Baal has taken my children. So I'm going to exact this judgment against uh, my people for going to Baal. So it's it's this play on words. The prophets are so tricky um, or so skillful, I should say, uh, with how they communicate their message. Uh, but the Lord is serious. <laughs> the Lord is not playing with his people. But once again, right, God's people uh, never just receive words of judgment, but also words of hope, words of restoration as well. And so Hosea is going to do that. Look at verse 14. I will ransom them from the power of Sheol. I will redeem them from death. Death, where are your barbs? Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. Listen, all throughout the Old Testament, the exile, right? People, the people of God being taken from the land, right? Assyria, Babylon, right? They were taken from the land. That is equated and associated with death, right? It is it is a removal, hear this, from the land and the life-giving presence of God that is there in the land, right? And so this is something we're going to see over and over and over. And this return, this restoration from exile is like a resurrection. It is literally like a resurrection. And so um, what the prophet is saying here. He's like, yo, no, no, like God will ransom you from the power of Sheol. He will bring you back from exile uh, if you repent, right? If you turn to him, God has the power to do that. And that is his hope for his people. That's his heart towards his people, that even though he is going to bring judgment, uh, judgment, as we've said, is not his final Word. And I think for us, um, just thinking and reflecting on this reality, uh, if the Lord can do this, then we ought to be hopeful, right? If, if the Lord could bring his people back from exile, if the Lord could bring uh, us up from the dead, then that should redefine our plausibility structures, right? About what he can and can't do in our lives. We should be hopeful, right? Hopelessness, as uh, my man John O has said, should not be in the Christian vocabulary, right? Paul picks up on his text. This very text in Hosea, he picks up on this text in First Corinthians 15 and um, when he speaks of the bodily resurrection of Christ, but also the resurrection of believers at the end of time and how that informs and guarantees uh, uh, our hope. Um, and so death will be destroyed finally and forever. Um, and that's something we can rejoice in today. Hosea 14, last chapter, he ends off with a call to repent and return to God. The Hebrew word, this is Hebrew word he's going to use all throughout here. Um, it's called shuv. Shuv, right? It's this word for repent. It means to to return 
to God. Depending on the context, it can be return or repent. It can be translated either way. So the first three verses, we have the prophet calling for repentance. And then four through nine, we have Yahweh calling for a promise of restoration in light of that repentance, right? So Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled in your iniquity. Take words of repentance. The word was uh, mentioned twice. Uh, repentance with you and return to the Lord. Third time, say to him, forgive all our iniquity and accept what is good so that we may repay you with praise from our lips. Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses and we will no longer proclaim our gods to the work of our hands for the fatherless receives compassion in you. End quote. Uh, what he does here, Hosea, is he gives them a template of basically like a sinner's prayer, right? Like an ancient sinner's prayer, if you will. And he says, no, no, no. Like all you have to do is write this in and mean it with your heart and the Lord. You'll see what the Lord will do with that. And specifically, he wants them to repent once again, around the political alliances and idolatry. And we see that even in that day and today as well, the idolatry and politics can be intertwined. Now, I'm, I'm, let me be clear really quick. I am using politics in the in the uh, ancient sense. I'm not saying they were Republican and Democrat. I'm just saying here that they are putting their trust in uh like um, military leaders, kings of other nations to solve their problems that only God could solve, right? And so these leaders in society, these kings uh, of monarchies is who they were putting their uh, trust and hope in. And God is like, I'm your king, <laughs> right? Like I'm your savior. I'm the only one that can save you from any type of judgment from the real problems that really could lead to damage in your life and in your soul. And so uh, that's how I'm using the term. But what Hosea is saying here is that if repentance is the requirement, then restoration is the result, right? If repentance is the requirement for God's people, restoration is the result. And I love how it's described towards the end. He's like, I will heal their apostasy. I will freely love them for my anger, anger will have turned from him. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like the lily and take root of the cedars of Lebanon. His new branches will spread and his splendor will be like the olive tree, his fragrance like the forest of Lebanon. The people will return and live beneath his shade. They will grow grain and blossom like the vine. His renown, hear this, will be like the wine of Lebanon. Hear what the Lord um, does, as he often does. He compares the people of God to fruit, plant, tree, and vine-like imagery, right? Here, in light of the restoration, what God will do is he will use Israel to bless the world, right? Peoples will come, as he says, and live beneath the shade of their branches. Now, Jesus is going to pick up this same imagery in some of his parables. Look at Mark chapter four for reference. What God is saying is that he will fulfill his original commission to Abraham about blessing the nations through Israel. Right. And this listen, I love it because this comes in the movement of the book through a death and resurrection of Israel. So remember, death is associated with exile coming back from exile is associated with resurrection. And only then will God use Israel to bless the nations as he had promised. And what we see here is that this is fulfilled in the life of Christ. Right. The true Israelite, the ultimate Israelite who lived perfectly under God's jurisdiction, covenant and law. And who died on the cross, who resurrected from the grave and from him, the Gentiles are brought in. The nations of all peoples of the world can now be brought in through this faithful Israelite that God uh, brought to earth. His son, Jesus Christ, his righteous reign is the fulfillment of all the promises of God. Listen, God reverses the evil committed by us and uses it for good, for his good plan, his good purposes 
and ultimately his glory in the person and work of Christ. Praise God for being able to take our worst and do the absolute best. Let's pray. Father, we pray uh, for your hand today, God. We pray that we repent of the sin that's in our heart right now, God. We know that uh, there's no sin we can't repent from and there's no sin we can't be restored from. Uh, You've proved that to us in your word. I pray, Lord, that we would trust in Christ today for those very promises. In Jesus' name.